driving gloves were a combination of gearheads. John, the instigator. Derek, the conservator. Will, the builder. Sean, the racer. And maybe a guest. Invite you to listen while they sit down, have a drink, and discuss cars. Learn more and subscribe to the podcast with no driving gloves. Time now for the ride. It's kind of a good day on no driving gloves. We've got kind of a special guest. Back when we interviewed... Uh, Nate Adams from Chassis Media, you know, he put together some pretty cool movies about Paul Newman, the 24-hour wars. I don't know if it was Nate. I don't know if it was Matt DeAndrea. I don't know if it was Adam, but they uh, came up with this pretty cool movie called Uppity about Willie T. Ribs. And when we finished with Nate, Nate was talking and he said, hey, you want to get Willie on your show? And I said, you know, excuse me, Willie, but, you know, I was a fan of Willie back in the 80s. You know, it was nice to see the movie come out and him get some recognition here, you know, 30 years later. I'm going to say we've got Willie T. Ribs. And, Willie, it's a pleasure to have you this uh, this afternoon to chat. Uh, we do have Sean, but he's suffering some hurricane damage, so I don't know how chatty he will be. And we apologize if uh, we have some overlapping voices that I can't edit out. Willie, how are you doing this afternoon? Well, I've got a pulse. And uh, <laughs> every time I saw my mentor, or one of my great mentors, Paul Newman, I used to say, how are you? And he'd say, I have a pulse. And he said, you'll say that when you get my age. <laughs> so I'm saying it. They always have told me it's a good day when you have a pulse and when you don't see your name in the obituary column in the morning. It's 2020. You never know what's going to happen. And I restored a Paul Newman race car a couple of years ago, Lotus that he raced when he was with Lotus and learned so much about Paul and, you know, what he did for the world and, you know, what he did for racing. And, you know, it was kind of good to see that. I didn't realize he was as key to getting you to that next level. That's always, you know, a big step in racing. You know, you, you fought long and hard. I think anybody who knows Willie T. Ribs and who is joining us knows, you know, a little bit of your battle, what you did. And I was talking to a friend of mine about this interview and he said that you, you know, and I think it was brought out in the movie and I hate hate to keep saying that, but I'm just going to go. You did as good as anybody on any racing circuit that ever was there with lesser equipment than anybody ever had. And we always talk about that underdog of Willie and the, uh, you know, the troubles and the drivers and the partners and what, what other than Paul Newman's involvement might've been the biggest change in your career that really got you, you know, really got you on the map. Was it dealing with, you know, Bernie, was it with Bernie Ecclestone? I guess you're a tough guy to interview because there's a lot out there and there's a lot of misconception about you. And I want to say, what were the challenges? Let's just start with that softball question you get asked a million times, you know. Challenges that I had were pretty much on par with uh, any sports figure that was a pioneer. Same challenge that Jack Johnson had or Jackie Robinson or or Arthur Ashe. I mean, it, and even to this day, uh, right now, uh, with what Lewis Hamilton is dealing with. I mean, he's the greatest to ever sit in a race car in Formula One. He's broken all the records despite the distraction and a distraction that's purely based on his skin color, just like I dealt with. 
you know, uh, Bobby Unser used to say to me, he still does. He says, not many drivers could have dealt with what you dealt with. They would have quit or not even tried. And he said, what you dealt with was, was uh, uh, not uh, fair, but, but you dealt with it. And, uh, and that was, and you went beyond what most drivers could have done and not, and be successful on top of it. Cause whatever race car that I got in that was competitive, that was on a level playing field, I won. And I just, and I didn't win more than once I won. So my mother always said I was 25 years uh, too soon, but that's okay. We made, uh, we made a statement and I, I didn't know I was going to have to make a statement. I thought I was just going to be judged as a driver. And I'm not going to let anybody say, well, he shouldn't have said the things he said. And he was controversial. And that's all a cover up. Don't, no one can tell me how to react to opposition because they didn't have to deal with it. I had to deal with opposition. How does somebody like you deal with that? I mean, there's there's enough challenges to get to racing. There's enough challenges to, I want to say, for anybody to get into racing. Um, you know, if you pick uh, any any you know white guy that ever got into racing, there's challenges, and then you're overcoming the color barrier, and you're overcoming you know, and then the, because of the color barrier, you're thrown some of the worst equipment in you know, in the sport. And you not only dealt with the challenge of becoming a race car driver, you've not only dealt with the challenge of becoming a black race car driver, you've not only dealt with the challenge of becoming a race car, a black race car driver with the worst equipment that somebody could give you and being dismissed as a afterthought to everybody. How do you overcome that? I'm not going to take that title as an afterthought. When, when I put myself in the history books in 1991, that's not an afterthought. Historians, people who make history of sports are not an afterthought. I might be an afterthought, a wishful afterthought for some of my detractors, but I continue just to keep my foot in their rectum. And I appreciate the fact that you do greatly. And, and my, my question to that, Willie, is... Obviously, you had a fire to, to jump in and, and jump in a race car and prove what you're capable of doing. And, you know, no one can, can take away the fact that you are one of the best drivers to hop in a sports car ever. There's no doubt about that. And anything that you ever drove, actually. What was, like, after you got your foot in the door and you saw the, the challenges that you were having to overcome, was it still the fire to drive the car? Or was it more the these people are telling me I can't do it therefore I'm I'm going to do it even better is is that what pushed you or was it a combo of both I the uh, I tuned them out they were useless as tips okay okay good (laughs) I I grew up on a ranch and tips on a board don't really produce anything but that's what they were as far as I was concerned I tuned them out I love that definitely weren't going to intimidate me they knew better than to try to do that because i'm very old school when it comes to that willie t ribs has never known to turn 
uh, the other cheek, and they knew it. So they they took it up to the line, but they knew not to go over it. You know, I started racing in England, and I went to England to be a Formula One driver. Well, when I won races over there, and when I was there, I was treated like a race driver. I wasn't treated as a, a black driver. Yeah. When I came back, you know, it was it was a different story. It was a challenge that that uh, I really didn't expect because I. I love the sport so much. I loved it so much that as a kid growing up into it with my dad being an a amateur driver, I didn't think anybody would be bad in the sport because I loved the sport so much. I thought everyone was good people. When I got back to the United States, it was a different story. What were y'all doing to actually tweak and, and get a little more out of the car? And let's, just, let's dig into what you were driving and what you loved and what you didn't love. Well, I mean, when when I first started in England, it was open wheel cars. It was Formula Ford, and it was an absolute level playing field. You know, they were primitive. They were the the state of the art race car of their day. But I mean, they were small formula, and they didn't have Formula One or Formula Two technology. But it was a proving ground, similar to go karts. Uh, when I came back and I raced for. Uh, Roush, for example, I mean, we had a, a huge budget and we had, it takes all of those resources and elements to be successful. You've got to have the, the power unit. Uh, well, that is called power unit now in those days, and it was called an engine. You've got to have continuous development of power. You have to have continuous development of the technical side. Uh, of the race car and aero side. It, it never stops. Well, we had the budget uh, and Ford Motor Company was putting the money behind Roush to put me in victory circle. And hell, I won nearly, a, if I didn't have a mechanical failure, I won the race. When I went to Gurney, same, same. We had, you got to have, uh, and there was no magic button. It was magic money. Money could be considered a magic button. <laughs> Definitely. You, you got to be able to spend to, to run at the front. There's no doubt about that. And it's, it's cool to hear. Do you think outside of the stories that we've heard about, you know, the obvious truth that was, you know, you were put in some cars that weren't exactly up to snuff and you still drove away from people. I wish that we could have seen you in, in, on an equal playing field back then because it would have just been unbelievable. I knew I was competitive, Sean. I knew I was really good when I could take a non-factory car and still win, which I did. Now, when you get into yeah. Cup Series, for example, in NASCAR or IndyCar, the greatest guys in, in, that, in those uh, disciplines you're competing against, whether it's Mario Andretti or, or Allen's or Junior, they're the best, and they've got the best. And whether and NASCAR, Earnhardt Senior, etc. Right, all the best guys. If you're not on equal, if you're not dead equal them with them from the technical side, you're not going to win. You're not going to even be in the top five or ten. You've got like Mario and right. Jetty always said: if it takes one thousand components to win. And you've got 999, you're at a disadvantage. And once I got to that level, 
I wasn't at 999. I was at maybe 300. Right, right. You still ran well. You still ran better than mid-pack in, in a lot of that equipment. And, I mean, that's a testament to, to just talent and drive. I mean, it's how deeply were you involved outside of from behind the wheel and obviously giving the feedback to the engineers and, and the crew in order to, to make the changes to the car that you need. But were you involved in the actual development of driveline, aero, suspension components, anything along those lines? Or was it more feedback from, from the driver's standpoint and, and the team itself was, was truly developing those components for you? How, how deeply were you involved on the tech side? When I was raised for Roush, we had, you know, Bob Riley was the, was the designer and engineer and Riley was just brilliant. I would give feedback to Riley and then he would take it and turn it into what made it comfortable for me, what made me fast with it. When I went to Gurney, well, you had Phil Remington there and you had uh, Dan and you had just, when I first went to Gurney, I wanted changes to the car immediately. When, after my first test session in Riverside, I said to Dan, I said, look, I would like to put this into the car and change this to make it do this. And they, I had to prove to Dan that it, it would work. And he said to me that if it doesn't work, it's your responsibility. You right. asked for it. As it turned out uh, we won the next race. And the changes that we did technically to the car. Now, I'm not going to put a pen and paper to anything, but, you know, as far as asking for what I want from the mechanical side, he gave it to me and uh, we went out and won the next race and then kept winning. And then we won the manufacturer's championship that, that, uh, that year. Can't argue with those results. Say the fact that you were successful with the initial you know, you, you told Dan, this is what you wanted. And he said, well, we're going to do it, but it all lies on you. And you obviously, you know, they did it. You proved it successful. Did that make the ensuing request from you a little bit easier or was it always a challenge? I mean, did, oh, no. did it start help building that trust? It got easier and easier, but Dan and what I liked about him that he would be in a former legendary race driver and racing in Formula One and winning in Formula One and winning in stock cars and indie cars. Um, Dan would, and he always like looked at you with these eyes. He wouldn't blink. He would just sort of stare at you. And, and, and the engineers and mechanics are taking notes and he would always say, okay, all right, you, you want that. If it doesn't work, your name's on it. <laughs> but and as time went on, there was no questions after that. Dan wouldn't he wouldn't question my why I wanted things the way they the changes that I wanted. He didn't question it. He was just the best that I had ever worked. Positive results have a tendency to build trust, without a doubt. The only thing that him and Phil Remington, I wouldn't say had a problem with. But they questioned my my form of combat. 
And the reason why I'm saying that is after the third or fourth race I was with the team, after practice, every time after practice, there'd be a black mark on the car. There'd be on the uh, front fender or on the side of the door, there'd be a bloom, a, a scratch or a mark. Finally, I saw them about 10 foot away from me and they were holding their faces like this and they were looking down at the car, mumbling to each other. Then they looked at me and then they finally came over to me and said, um, "Did has the race started yet? I said, no, no, I'm just getting everybody's head right before the green flag drops. They said, well, you know, I... I <laughs> So you actually bump, bump and got, and I did. I mean, I, I had to deal with um, uh, some things that I shouldn't have had to dealt, uh, deal with. And I wanted them to know that they were going to have to deal with some things that they might necessarily didn't want to deal with. So, I mean, I was, you know, in practice and qualifying, I'd give them a little bump here and a nudge here. And uh, so Gurney and children and I, sat down and talked about the old days, how de- how dangerous the sport was, and and you really couldn't do that. And then Dan says, look, he says, you're the best guy here. He says, you don't need to, <laughs> to put a shoulder on everybody just <laughs> to prove it. And so I, after that, I said, okay, you're right. So I, I, I got, I was, you know, uh, a little bit uh, cleaner. Not that I was dirty, but I like I like uh, rough stuff. You just let people know you were there. There's there's a quote in Bull Durham. I don't know if you're a fan of that movie or not, but Nuke Lelouch is like, I was announcing my presence with authority at the plate when he was brushing people back from the plate as a pitcher. That's kind of what you were doing. You were just, hey, I'm here, and this is how it's going to be, and I'm coming through. I, I, I think they, they knew you were there. And it was fun too, Sean. I just thought that was fun stuff. You know, next year, we need SRX series. You heard about that? Oh, we wanted to talk about that. Yeah, we definitely want to talk about that. Yeah, well, it's going to be rough. Even as old as we are, we're going. To, it's going to be. We're going. To, that's what it's designed to do. We're going to put on a show. The drivers in that that are listed are amazing. It, you know, Sean's compared it to the IROC series from years beyond, but I think even the driver list that I'm looking at your website for the driver list, maybe it's changed a little bit. You know, Tony Stewart and Tony Kanan and Paul Tracy and Bobby Labonte and Helio, you and, you know, Mark Weber, you've got literally the best of multiple forms of racing from multiple generations. You raced Paul Tracy back in the day when you were both in the thick of things and you know you get tony stewart and mark weber that are this generation you know i'm excited to see this do you want to tell us a little bit about this series and publicize it a little bit and what are you running and where are you running is it road course is it ovals or the plan is and bill elliott from dawsonville they just announced him so we're going to do and and what i like about the format is there's going to be two Bullring uh, ovals, short track. There's going to be two bullring dirt track races, and there's going to be two road course races. Oh, yeah. This is going to be so much fun. So much fun. I'm going to play dumb. And what type of car is it going to be? Are you going to be in, a, you know, an outlaw car and then you're going to be in a, a stock car? Or is it 
you know, is there a single chassis type thing you're running? This series is going to be its own brand. The car is going to be an SRX car. It won't have any manufacturer's name to it, nor will the engines. You know, a lot of the drivers have uh, commercial obligations where uh, with other manufacturers that, you know, they can't jump off and drive a Ford or a Chevy or whatever right. brand it might be. So I think it's just brilliant on uh, Ray Abraham's part and, and Stewart's part to create that uh, neutral zone, right? You can come uh, uh, compete. You've got no uh, strings attached to anybody. Everham is building the chassis, correct? Is, is it? A, it's a two-frame chassis based off of sort of a stock car combined with maybe a little bit of road course in it, but it's it's two-frame, correct? It is. It is. It will be okay. sort of a, a mixture of a Trans Am car and a stock car. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. And, the, and, and it's going to run on dirt. I can't wait. I kind of see it as a combination between a NASCAR and the Trans Am car and maybe the little Saturday night specials that, you know, I used to go go watch on, well, obviously, Saturday nights and <laughs> see them run. That series sounds exciting. I guess we're going to have to stay updated on it and fill our listeners in as it approaches. But it, it's, it, I'm assuming it's televised and all that other fun stuff. Oh, CBS primetime. Okay. CBS primetime shows yeah the the driver lineup demands that alone so are they tape delayed or are you guys running at night pardon me sean said the driver lineup uh you know demands prime time alone and i was asking is it a tape delay then or are you going to run most of this at night or is it i mean prime time saturday afternoon sunday afternoon sports there'll be uh there'll be night shows okay now as far as the road course concerned i don't know how they're going to uh how they're going to run uh, at what time they're going to run those shows, but the bull rings will be night gigs. Awesome. Yeah. You'll just show up and run it. Right. <laughs> you don't care. It's put it, putting you back in a car. Yeah. You know, the, I it's racing and everyone that's in this uh, SRX championships uh, races are, um, are racers, right? No matter what, you know, I admire Mark Weber jumping out of a Formula One car and jumping in. Uh, and, and I'm sure he's driven cars with a roof on it, but I don't know how much dirt he's run on unless it was up and out by, up, out back in Australia, you know, chasing kangaroos. I always liked Mark as an F1 driver because he did seem to be one of those F1 drivers that was there because he enjoyed racing. You know, so many race car drivers today, they're doing it for the paycheck and they could care less. They, they want, you know, they want a paycheck and yeah, we get to drive fast, but he seemed to be one that would tie into it. And it's like, even when Kimi Raikkonen retired and went to rally racing, I really think racing on dirt and maybe you, maybe you can pr- tell me I'm wrong. I think racing on dirt's the hardest thing you can do. Whether, you know, I think rally drivers are some of the most talented on the planet. Dirt changes the track changes every single lap in such a drastic way. You really have to be an adaptable driver. Is that, I guess, is that true or am I wrong? I've done one dirt race. It was in Wichita, Kansas, 1986. I was, it was an invitational with Bobby Allison, Davey, uh, yeah, Bobby Allison, Davey Allison, and uh, who else was it? Um, 
Terry Labonte. And then like Neil Bonnet. Neil, uh, yeah, Neil Bonnet. They were all in the race. And I qualified on the front row. I'd never been on dirt before. Qualified second. Bobby Allison was uh, on the pole. We raced and I got past Bobby and I led for a while. Then Bobby got past me. I was burning the right rear down. I didn't know how to uh, manage tire. <laughs> I just, I'd never done it before. <laughs> well, then when Bobby got in front of me, about five laps later, he blew an engine and oil went everywhere and I got on it. I'm lucky I didn't spin out, but I slid up the track. And I ended up finishing third. But it was the most fun I'd ever had in my life racing. That is, it was. Dirt is amazing. Just fun. It was yeah. not hard. It, you know, it was just a different form of racing, um, but it was just fun as hell. The car control that it takes to, to get the car set, you know, to rotate and set properly on dirt and, and to really get the drive off the corner. And it just, there is something really visceral, visceral about racing on dirt. It's, it's almost the same thing for a road race driver that's racing in the rain. Like, I love racing in the rain. I don't know how you feel about it, Willie, but I, I'm one of the guys that's literally like, if it starts raining first thing in the morning, I'm going, hell yeah. And most of the people there are like, oh, I hate the rain. And I'm like, cool, I've already won. Did you, did you enjoy racing in the rain too back in the day? The first race I won in England was in the rain. That's all it does in England is rain. And uh, right. my very first race in Snetterton, it started dry. Uh, it started you know, sort of damp, and then it went wet, and then uh, the rain stopped, and then it went wet again, and uh, I spun off, I think, two times, but I still won the race, because everybody was spinning off, and, uh, but yeah, racing in the rain is, is, is challenging, uh, because it's hard, if it, if, if it's raining real hard, you don't really know where the limit is each corner because each corner is going to be different right. depending on puddling and and uh, water uh, standing uh, uh, and or whether it's running off or not. Uh, so yeah, it's a challenge. It's it's, but that's why you're a race driver. You're a race driver for all elements, all the challenging elements. Totally agree. Totally agree. I wanted to kind of pivot the conversation a l little bit. I'm not sure you ever really retired from racing. Did you ever really retire from racing? Because I also want to touch on some of your, uh, you know, shooting, you know, that you've done professionally. And I'm sure it goes all the way back to when you were, you know, on the growing up on the ranch. Where, that's probably where you learned to handle a gun. You know, I'm not a huge gun guy or anything. I'm not against him. But, you know, I wanted to find out how that slotted into your you know, racing life, you know, racing obviously is your passion and what you did the most, but did you ever really step back from racing and then just kind of become professionally, you know, a professional shooter? Because, you know, I can't find a gap in your career. I mean, everything I look at shows you doing something almost in a fast car for the last 40 years, 45 years. When I was done professionally with racing was 2001. Now, I grew up shooting on my grandfather's ranch, and, you know, I wanted to, I always liked shooting, uh, and and I did a lot of bird hunting with my grandpa, and I just wanted to be a great shot like him. I mean, he was phenomenal uh, with his shooting skills, 
not at standing targets. Anybody can shoot a standing target. My mom at 90 could uh, could uh, hit targets at 250 yards like that. I wanted to be a challenge. So I got in, uh, hunting is only seasonal from September until January, and I wanted to do more than that. So I started shooting shooting clay targets and going out with my buddies. And then that wasn't enough. I wanted to compete. And so I started competing. I became a master shooter and I won a couple of master uh, competitions. It was my son, Theo, who was the, the, he's the real pro. He, Theo's one of the top shooters in the world right now. And, uh, you know, winning the K Cup National Championship. When you compete against 3,000 guys, 3,000. And when that, which he did, you're one of the best. I sort of stepped away from competitive shooting and I'm, you know, sort of pushing his career along and, and, uh, you know, pushing his brand. And uh, he's got some great sponsors uh, who, who really support him. And Theo travels worldwide. When I was shooting, I was just shooting in the United States. Theo's in Dubai, Theo's in England, Theo's in Cyprus, Theo's in Jamaica, Theo's in Mexico, he's in Europe. He's traveling worldwide. I can hear how proud you are. Yeah, I can totally hear how proud you are of him just in your voice, man. That's that's really cool to hear. Now, the other question is, how bad do you want to be able to outshoot him? <laughs> the competitive side has to come through, doesn't it? Uh, let, let me tell you what. If I start off and we're you know, competing with each other, and if I start off good, and when I say good, if I'm within three or four targets of him in the first – say 25 uh, targets, he ain't liking that. <laughs> I'm just talking about just, he's not liking that. Awesome. And when it, after a hundred, oh, he wants, and even when we're out hunting, you know, quail hunting or, or uh, sandhill crane hunting up in Lubbock, Texas, if I start out and I, I get the first two birds ahead of him, oh, the look on his <laughs> face looks like his testicle. <laughs> so, so, uh, no, he's very competitive, and he wants me to stay in my place. That's awesome. Okay? You're the driver. I'm the shooter. That is so good. It's kind of cool to hear that, though, because you're, you're talking, and it depends on the day, obviously. You say, you know, your son's one of the best in the world, and you're the proud father because of it, but you can stay competitive with your son, which that might mean you, if you really wanted to, you could be competitive on, on that level. Nah, I'm a little bit long in the tooth, John, on that one. Um, you know, these 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 young guys out here that compete professionally, that's all they do. They shoot every day. Theo, Theo shoots sometimes uh, a thousand rounds a week. Just it's like Tiger Woods out there golfing. He's putting and putting. Yeah. That's all these guys do. The top guys. Uh, you know, whether it's George Digweed or England or, or Theo over here or Bobby Fowler, who, who's one of the greatest ever in this country, it, it's, it's, that's it. So with me stepping out of a racing car and competing with them, they look at me like, well, we're not going to get in a race car, uh, Willie T, and try to go as fast as you. We're not going to even try. So they, uh, I don't, maybe if I would have started younger when Theo started, because Theo started shooting uh, competitively when he was 12 years old. By the time he was 
15, he was a master. Wow. That's cool. That's, that's very cool. I was going to go somewhere with that, but I forgot. <laughs> I'm curious. What is it that you're, that you're involved in right now, other than shooting and racing that really gets you going? Like it's what, what is it that, that you wake up every morning and you're like, that's the first thing that you think about to keep Willie T ribs focused on this has to get done. And, and it, it really revs your engines. Is, is it anything outside of shooting or motorsport? Is it getting the superstar league up and running or? John, you know, I got to tell you, I think that's what helped me be successful because I didn't, I had focus as a young man on one thing. It was being a great driver and shooting was my hobby. And, and I put it down to, I wanted to be great at being a, a, a driver and I wanted to be as good a shooter, if not great, as possible. And um, I didn't have to ever get up in the morning wondering, well, you know, what what's going to be my next hobby? You know, should I play bocce ball? You know, should, you know, I uh, golf or, you know, uh, be a, a strip club platinum member? You know, I, I it was pretty easy. And... Uh, and now with bringing Theo along and, you know, I mean, Theo has had professional athletes, Super Bowl champion football players ask him to train, teach him how to shoot, whether it's Eric Wright of the 49ers or, or the Hall of Famer Bobby, uh, Bobby Bell of uh, the Kansas City Chief. Theo's got a lot of fans and his his uh, focus has kept me focused. I can get up in the morning and say, okay, we're going to go. And we have a training facility. We have a ranch we train on here in Texas. And, you know, we'll go out and just put our focus on, okay, what kind of targets are we going to see? You know, I'll wake up in the morning and I'll look out in the, into my backyard or I'll look out on the ranch and I'm thinking about te- technical targets that he might have to see in a competition. Now, with SRX coming along, I, I won't be able to put as much focus on Theo shooting because I'm going to be trying to win a championship. I will be training with Sugar Ray Leonard, the Sugar Ray Leonard, for SRX championship. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Leonard, uh, <laughs> the Sugar's got to take 25 <laughs> LBs off me at, at minimum to get me ready. And, you know, those... Uh, you know, I'll go to Vegas or go to LA and, and train for this. It's that big a deal. And all the drivers, they are not going to be uh, getting those cars looking like uh, Pillsbury Doughboy. They're all going to be. So Tony Stewart's going to lose a couple of pounds. I remember him as he went on, he got a little bit rounder and rounders. <laughs> oh yeah. No, no. You're going to put them chimichangas down, son. And uh, we're going to be carrots and stuff. <laughs> I can't wait to see you and, and the rest of those drivers in SRX. That's going to be epic. Is is there anyone that you're looking forward to jumping in those cars and racing with more than more so than the others? Or is it just kind of like you're getting the band back together and, and you're looking forward to racing them all? Who's the one that you really want to go after? No, I, I mean, um, I have some drivers in the past that, uh, that I, I'd love to get it on with. But personally... Personally, get it on with <laughs> nobody. I mean, these guys are all heavy breathers. Everybody in that race is a heavy breather. 
And when I say heavy breather, that's Godzilla. You ever see Godzilla breathe? <laughs> well, that's what everybody yeah. is in this race. And no, you know, you I don't think you can really sing, single out anyone. No one's going to single out anyone other than trying to get to that checkered flag first. No, it's it's an entire field full of champions. It is. I'll be the oldest guy, too. And they're not going to take it easy on me. Next year, in that series, I will be 6'6", 66. Like as in Route 66? Yes, that's what <laughs> Willie T. Ribs will be. I'll be the older guy, but, you know, I've always had, you know, pretty. I've always been physically gifted, for the lack of a better word. So I'm not going to, my eyesight's real good. My reflexes are good. My uh, In my home here is a training facility with hit, big, hit, big, uh, big bag, speed bag. I'm not going to ever get too far out of shape. But, you know, to get in really competitive shape, uh, you know, I'm going to call up Ray and get down there and get have Ray get me in shape. Even Mike Tyson and Mike and I are. If you're friends with Mike Tyson, I have been watching his training films that he just he pops these little 30 second like blurbs up on social media. If you're friends with Mike, oh, my, whatever he's doing, oh, yeah. do it because he looks. Oh, Mike, Mike is, like, is Mike is absolute an animal when it comes to, to uh, staying in condition, and uh, and he's fun to be around. I mean, being around uh, Mike is fun as hell, right? Now I can't smoke weed. I, I've never been a weed smoker, you know. But you know, I'll, we'll we'll go outside so I don't have to breathe it. Yeah, he just, I mean, the, the training that he's doing to get back in the ring right now, if if you want to really get ready for this SRX, and I know Sugar Ray, he's always been the pinnacle of, of performance, but Mike Tyson has got some form of animal intensity going on that a man his age doesn't normally have. Tap into some of that. <laughs> Everybody needs a little bit of that. Yeah, because if you don't win, I'm going to kick your ass. When you get out of the car. <laughs> I don't want to, I don't even want to be around when he throws the punch, much less be the person that he throws the punch at. It looks terrifying. Well, terrifying. Um, he, Mike has got huge fists, right? And, and the velocity of his, uh, the speed of his punch, you can hear the wind. Uh, uh, hear, <laughs> you can hear the wind. Uh, 20 yards away. It whooshed through there. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, it's so frightening. So frightening. John, you had somewhere you wanted to go. I'm, I'm going to let you get me away from Mike Tyson. Now, I, I'm, I'm, I can talk about that for a while. I'm kind of enjoying this Mike Tyson and that because I'm sitting here thinking it's it's going to be fun, <laughs> you know, as, you know, Mike's retraining and, you know, Willie's retraining and let's get these, you know, you're going to get back there and maybe show these uh, youngins a thing or two. You know, it's something I've, in basketball, it's always who's better, Jordan or LeBron. And like they say, or like the Facebook meme shows that, you know, Jordan was better than um, Larry Bird and Larry Bird's stats are better than LeBron's. It's good to see some of the, I guess, the people I grew up watching and idolizing coming back and maybe putting some you know young people in their place i was actually going to go down a little bit of a road that i don't hear too much about willie and you know hang up on me if you don't like but you know you retired in 2001 and you know 
I want to say, I'm sure you've vintage raced and, you know, stayed a little bit involved, but have you been a driver coach or a mentor or helped some people along or have you kept up the, you know, the Willie T ribs fight for, I want to say more equality in racing, or, I mean, it's always good to get you back. And I think the movie did a ton of things and I kind of want to say, you know, how were you approached for the movie, but you retired in 01, it's 2020, your movie came out you know, year and a half, two years ago. What have you done to keep busy? And what have you, you know, like I said, are are you doing some driver coaching or helping out? Or is it you're still focused on you winning? Well, I mean, I'm, you know, of course, I've been traveling the world with Theo. That's been right. uh, primarily my number one focus until of the film, you know, we started production of the film a few years ago. It premiered this year, February, February 5th. Ironically, COVID hit two weeks later, actually a week later. So, you know, I've been, the film has been very successful. The response worldwide that I've gotten from the film, uh, including people like Sean Penn and Jimmy Kimmel and Jay Leno, worldwide has been staggering. The uppity has been that successful for Netflix and it's, um, uh, I've, course been promoting that like i'm doing with you uh we're talking career uh here uh, on podcast i just did a huge gig with um sky sports at the beginning of the week that's going to run in 61 countries on sunday uh during the formula one telecast uh coming up this weekend uh in emola italy um I haven't been idle. You know, I, of course, uh, the last few years have been involved with SVRA, uh, Tony Perello's creation, V-Rock, which is Vintage Race of Champions. And that's sort of, that's uh, an I-Rock in, excel, in itself with vintage cars. And I won that last year, the V-Rock Championship. And, you know, there are some stout, there are some really bad asses in that series by the name of Alan Sir Jr. and Bobby Labonte and Bodine and Mike Skinner, Paul Tracy, uh, Max Pappas. There's been some great drivers, uh, Jeff Brabham. So I won that in 2019. This year has been uh, canceled because of COVID. So, you know, I've been a little racing. So I'm not completely out the pasture. You know, let's touch on the movie because the movie, I love, I'm going to say what Chassis Media and Adam Carolla and Nate and all of those guys over there put together. Every one of their movies is so much more than just about the car. And, you know, they bring the person into it. And I wanted to watch, you know, wanted to watch your your movie. And my you know, fiance was a little, you know, why do I want to watch something about a racing driver? She was enthralled with the movie. And, you know, when I told her we're getting you on the show, she was kind of excited and that's the way it is when I talk to people that have seen your movie. A lot of people seem to say, well, my better half, to, to kind of put it that way, really enjoyed the movie. How did did the idea of the movie come up? Did, you know, Adam approach you or did some, you know, was it tossed around for years like films are? Or I know, you know, I know Adam Carolla has this huge list of people that he wants to do films about and he does it great. But where did that conversation start? How long ago? And what, what was the motivation behind that? John, I think it's it started oh, 2014. Yeah, 2013 or 2014. 
uh, I got approached by Nate Adams, Adams producer to and director to um, do a do a interview regarding Paul Newman. They knew that Paul Newman was one of was one of my mentors, so they wanted to get an interview on my relationship with him. It was a one day. They came out to the ranch. They flew out from California to Texas. Came out on the ranch. We talked about Newman when it was done, and they um, premiered Newman's uh, the 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 show um, was the uh, the racing life of Paul Newman when they premiered it. Right afterwards, they called me and said, we've gotten a lot of response regarding your interview uh, about Paul Newman, and you've got a hell of a story. We want to do, uh, we want to do something with you. We want to do a piece. I said, yeah, I said, I don't know. I, I said, if I'm going to do it, we're going to tell the truth. We're going to tell the whole truth. And if there's those who are going to get their butts hurt, they're just going to get their butts hurt. That's why you got a butt. Uh, we did it. And when I called Bernie Ecclestone and, and Adam Carolla asked me, he says, do you think Bernie Ecclestone would do it? Would be in the film? I said, of course. He bet me that Bernie would not do it. I emailed Bernie in London. I got an email back from Bernie the next day saying, when do you want to do it? And And I sent... Uh, Adam said, "Would you please send me the email you sent to Bernie? Because I want to use it for other people." <laughs> and I said to uh, Adam, "I said I'll send it." And I said, in, in, a, uh, "In a nutshell, I said to Bernie, email. I said not many people on this planet they know about Lewis Hamilton, but not many people know that you put the first black man in a Formula One car the same year." Lewis Hamilton was born. And I said, there would be tens of millions of people worldwide that would, that should know that. And that would be a part of your legacy. <laughs> Boy, my uncle Bernie said, come on, son. Yeah, that was a done deal at that point. I know some people that, you know, are, are good friends with uh, Bernie Ecclestone and, you know, worked with him for years, worked against him for years, worked for him for years. And nobody ever wants to say anything. I mean, we all know, you know, Bernie and F1 and Bernie's a little eccentric. I think the people closest to him always, he's very supportive of the racing community. And he maybe he doesn't want it out there, but I think he's got a little bit of a heart somewhere, even though nobody thinks he does. I mean, he's a businessman at heart. You're a racer at heart. I mean, you, that's where the focus is. And I thought it was good that he did the interview. But if I remember in conversations or listening to podcasts or whatever with, you know, either Matt D'Andrea or just talking to Nate, Nate and I go back a couple of years now, that he said that, you know, Bernie, you know, normally I'll do a five minute interview, but he sat down for an extended period of time and talked about you. Is that true? Or do you know that? Or We asked Bernie for one hour. He gave us three. Okay. Bernie and I, I met him in 1977 in England when I first started racing. He came to see me at Brands Hatch, him and Gordon Murray. He's been just an awesome man. And he told me, he says, I know what you're dealing with in America. He says, you're not going to deal with that with me here. You know, he's a phenomenal deal maker. If there was anybody that I wanted to do a big deal that represent me, it would be Bernie Ecclestone. And that's how, that's how smart. That's how uh, he's just unbelievable. He walks on water. If it wasn't for Bernie Ecclestone, 
Formula One would not be what it is today. He's just the greatest as far as I'm concerned. And he's very loyal. And if you're, and he's a kind man. Uh, he's, uh, and look, any man, he's 90 years old. He just had his 90th birthday. Any man that has a newborn baby who's five months old and is 90, uh, that's a bad cat. He's super bad. It's not just bad. He is super bad. I mean, 90 years old and has this a new baby, five months old. Unbelievable. And probably plans on being there for that child's graduation. Yeah. Yeah. Bernie's going to be here forever. He exercises like a fiend. Yeah. He, he does it in his office in London. We went to his office to film, and he owns this, you know, uh, 20 story building. And his office is on the third floor. And so, and the conference room is up there. So we took the elevator up, Nate Adams and I, and my son Theo was there. We took the elevator up to the floor to set up the camera. We heard this trotting, trotting uh, like this, in a, uh, like coming through a hallway. It was Bernie running up the steps. He was 86 years old. And oh my God. up to the top, he walked in, he wasn't breathing hard. And he says, <laughs> he says, I got a young wife. I got to stay in shape. <laughs> Bernie has his detractors and he has his fans, but if it wasn't for Bernie Ecclestone, you said that Formula One might not be what it is. I think Formula One may have just died. That man has done some amazing things for sport. Whether you, whether you love or dislike him, it, that doesn't matter. You have to acknowledge that he's, He's made some incredible contributions. Oh, he's uh, he Formula One might have might have uh, fizzled, and uh, he was smart yep. enough that he knew the value of it, and he also, you know, Bernie is a huge visionary. If it wasn't for Bernie and um, Ron Dennis, we might not have ever heard of Lewis Hamilton. I mean, Bernie wanted Lewis Hamilton in Formula One. He knew what it would do to the value of, of the sport worldwide. And Lord and behold. I want to set a little stage though. We're talking about Bernie and we, you know, we have some listeners that are younger than us, you know, Sean and I are knocking on 50 and you're knocking on your mid sixties. When we're talking Bernie Ecclestone in 77, he wasn't the figurehead he is today. Uh, he had a, a Formula One team like everybody else. He tried out drivers. He was, you know, still vocal at the time, if I remember. But it wasn't until 77 or 78 where he stepped up and made the investment to start leading Formula One. So when he brought Willie, you know, he was just a team owner. He wasn't this figurehead and maybe it's saying it wrong he wasn't the god of formula one that he is now he was still a struggling businessman struggling with probably still a seven-figure bank account but you know he was taking a risk you know put doing what he was with willie and it's good to see him doing do that and he obviously believed what he did and like will you know like you said willie you were 25 years ahead of your time because what was lewis you know 22 23 when yep when he got when ron dennis groomed him right out of go-karts right into his uh formula one team in mclaren he was a he was a baby and um you know bernie uh 
when Bernie was running his own team, Bernie was so smart. He said, well, look, you know, we need to be one group. We don't need to be uh, speaking with 10 or 15 different voices. We need one voice. So Bernie says, uh, and, and everyone just thought Bernie was brilliant when he said, well, let's create the Formula One FOCA, Formula One uh, Constructors Association, and I'll lead it. Well, it went from, you know, Bernie leading FOCA to, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just brand us Formula One, our own con- uh, controlling interests of it. And <laughs> what it did is, you know, no one, you know, and each team had to put up 100000 Well, you know, pretty soon none of the teams all wanted to ante up. Well, Bernie kept anteing up in their place and then owned it all. He's just, but his negotiation skills, when he walks into a room, I've had him and Don King, the Don King in the same room with each other. And I'm going to tell you, it was, it was a movie scene. You cannot imagine what the conversation both of them were having. It was, uh, it was, it was a movie. I want to see the closed circuit video of that. That had to be spectacular. That's that's a pay-per-view worth a couple dollars, man. It'll be a fly on the wall for that conversation, literally. That's, I guess that's one of those little legendary things that Willie was, was lucky to uh, even be there. You know, the first thing, the very, within within 10 to 15 seconds of them shaking hands and saying hello and, and, and introducing each other to themselves, they started talking money. I was shocked. <laughs> Well, Don, how much money do you make in this boxing business? They, as Bernie was closing the door, I, as they, as when Don walked in the hotel room, as Bernie was closing the door behind us uh, for us to go sit down, what kind of money are you make in this boxing business? <laughs> and then Don, Don says, well, you know, Don, Don was sort of reluctant. But then he's, you know, well, okay, he's with Echo Stone. So he started throwing out a number. And Bernie says, maybe I need to get into boxing too. <laughs> and then he tells, uh, then Bernie says, tells Don, well, I'm making this. And it went straight business. These guys did not talk about how's your kids or how old are they? What's your wife's name? You know, what is she? No. Boom. Money. Get to it. It was Get to it, make it happen. I, I have yeah. to ask you w- at least one more question here, Willie. And I, what I, what I really want to know before this thing wraps up, I want to know what is in Willie T. Ribs' garage that you absolutely love and would never get rid of. Do you have your dream car sitting in the garage right now? What, what are you driving that puts a smile on your face these days? You know, I get uh, Al Unser Jr. always teases me. I have a Lincoln Town car. Uh, a 09 Lincoln Town car. Well, you're in Texas. Yeah, that's that's it. My my wife, she drives. Stephanie drives the high performance car. She's got a, a a twin turbo 550 that she bought last year, and you know that she drives high performance. I just drive that old soft slow Lincoln Town car. You know, I that suits me just fine. Now, when I go out into the garage, I go into the safe and I've got 
some really great shotguns in there that are, you know, top of the expensive ones and uh, competition shotguns. That's something I look forward to, to seeing in the garage. That's what's put. Yeah, yeah that's cool. That's cool. That's cool. Because, I mean, you get to kind of make a phone call or you have people making phone calls to use, especially with SVRA. People are calling you up going, hey, you want to drive this? So, I mean, that's the best exotic car that you're ever going to drive or, or older race car you're ever going to drive is someone else's, I would think. Exactly. And I've never, I'm, and I've said this in a million interviews, what kind of car, what's your favorite car? <laughs> I have no favorites. I, I've never been in love with cars. I've been in love with racing, right? That I love to do. That's what I'm in love with, actual competition. But as far as car, a car is concerned, I've never, you know, and man, I, you should have seen the look on some of the interviewers' faces. Like, <laughs> oh, God. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, they uh, <laughs> were sad <laughs> that I didn't. I, I can totally love. respect that, though, because, I mean, I, I've always been the one that's like, I don't care. I really don't care how much power it has. I don't care which wheels are putting the power to the ground. I don't care how heavy it is. I just want to drive it. I just want to drive. That's all I want to do. And it sounds like you're kind of the same. Yeah. And, and, and growing up on the ranch, you know, of course I drove my grandfather's Jeeps. I drove my grandfather's dump truck. I drove his, his, his tractors. He had two Massey Ferguson tractors. I drove uh, uh, harvesters and combines. I drove everything because it was fun to drive. Yeah. I didn't care what I can it was. Relate. I can totally relate. That's awesome. Well, Sean, Sean was right there. We, uh, we asked for an hour of your time, Willie, and I'm glad you, you know, sat down with us. You know, we, we could probably talk a little bit longer. I think we got a lot out of you that we wanted to hear, and hopefully it was a little bit of a different interview for you. Before we go, and I occasionally forget to do this, let's plug Willie T. Ribs a little bit. Your website, what you got going on, where we can go see the movie. I don't know if it's still on Netflix or oh, not. Yeah. I forgot to look up before this interview. Boy, am I stupid. Oh, yeah, we're on Netflix. You know, of course, my website, uh, Willie T, uh, official WillieTRibs.com. You know, I've got a, I even got a, a um, merchandise score, uh, store, uh, WillieTRibsStore.com. So I'm not, I'm not going to ever be on the, on the sales pitch like Michael Jordan, for example. You know, I'm easy to find. And then, of course, we'll have the SRX championship that you're involved with next year. And, uh, you know, I don't know if we've actually ever said, but, you know, the name of the movie that we keep talking about is, is Uppity, kind of an interesting name, but it's uh, very easy Wait, whoa, to remember. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> what makes it interesting? Because that's what I was called. That was that. Uh, that's yeah. it. They called me Uppity. Well, I look. And and it, it's it's one of I guess I call it interesting, and I've always found the, the name interesting because I, I you know I know that's what you were called, and it's you embrace it, and it's I guess that's what's weird is it, to me it's it's a word that hasn't uh, kind of excuse me but a negative connotation, but you embrace it, and it explains so I mean it explains. If you had, you know, if you looked up Willie T. Ribs in the dictionary, that's the definition. You know, you you take, and we normally don't cuss on the show. You take no shit from anybody. You play the game, the way you want to. Um, you 
lived your life kind of the way I really wish I lived my life. I pre- pretend that, you know, I don't, you know, don't take any crap from anybody in that, but you really have, you've had a focus and you've, you've been there. I hope that's an okay thing to say to you, but yeah, uh, that's, true? that's as okay as it gets, John. I, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I was fortunate. I mean, I had, I, I didn't, you know, my grandfather had a successful business. I grew up in the, uh, you know, in the business, working in the business, and he was no nonsense. He did not. He believed in integrity. You didn't lie. You didn't cheat and you didn't steal. Now, people can say Willie T. Ribs is cocky. Oh, he's arrogant. Oh, he's he's hard to deal with. He's uh, They can say whatever. But no one will ever say he lies, he cheats, and he steals. And as far as I'm concerned, I'm good with that. You know what you want, and you've always done what you wanted, and you and you weren't afraid to go get it. And I can't do anything but have respect for you because of that. I think it's I think it's amazing. You've had an incredible career, and I can't wait to see the race series next year. Cannot wait to see you on track again. It's going to be so much fun to watch. Well, and then there's more. excellent. There's- there's more side more showtime showtime is going to produce yes uh produced by brian koppelman who produces the show billions a, a series that sort of uh sp- that that spins off uh uppity and uh, 10 episodes a year oh wow four years on showtime they're going to start casting and I believe production is going to begin in the, in the spring of next year. Congratulations. That's huge. That's a neat little nugget. And that, um, and it'll be fiction, nonfiction. I don't know. You know, I'll be a consultant on the project. I don't know who will be the lead character, but I can tell you it's going to be, uh, it's going to, there's going to be some salacious nice. stuff in it. It's going to be Hollywood. That's going to be fun. Yeah, I normally don't pay for stuff like that, but I think Showtime's got a. Guess I'm going to have a Showtime subscription come year from now or so. You know, that's great to hear that. I guess we get through 2021, and you've got a busy, or excuse me, get through 2020, and you've got a busy 2021. Then, so hopefully we get out of this, and we can see you out there uh, scratching up some of Ray Abraham's cars, and uh, we'll see you on Showtime in the fall. And everybody go, if you haven't seen it, go find Uppity, Willie T. Ribs, you know, official Willie T. Ribs.com. There's a link there. Go to ChassisMedia.com, Chassis with a Y. Or we'll even have a, a link on our website, No Driving Gloves, you know where to find us. Willie, it's been an honor and a privilege to be able to chat with you this afternoon. Thank you for taking time from your day. Sorry it wasn't our normal quality, but, you know, like I said, Sean suffered from the weather. And uh, again, thank you so much. It's like I told you on the phone when we set this up, you know, I admired you back then when you raced and, you you know, your name has always stuck out in my head. So you did something right. I can't, you know, there's very few racers from the eighties that I really think until I see their name, you know, Paul Tracy's there, but I don't remember him every day. Willie T is always stuck out and I know it's from the Indy car racing. I don't know if it was 91 or 93, but you know, that I remember you at Indy. So thank you. Well, thanks for having me, gentlemen. More to follow. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Willie. I'll be back. We can't wait. We'll do a nighttime show uh, after midnight and we uh, and and 
when the kids go to bed, we can rate it. I'm in. Uh, I'm totally in. Let me know when you're ready. <laughs> we might do that. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll take you up on that. <laughs> Thank you for listening, and remember to look us up at nodrivinggloves.com. There you can find back episodes, links to products we recommend, and links to all of our social media. Be sure to tell a friend about us. No Driving Gloves is edited and produced by J. Lewis Productions. 